Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the weekly podcast in which I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. I hope you're all very well and that you've had a lovely week. If you're listening for the first time, then you are very welcome. So we had a really exciting weekend because it was the first live recording we've done and it was so much fun. I was really nervous, which I think you may be able to hear in my voice at the beginning, but we had so many people there and everyone was so lovely and they all seemed to enjoy it. So that made it even better. And now we can get planning some more. If you might be interested in coming to the next live show, then go to the website desertislanddishes.co and sign up for the newsletter, which at the moment, I have to admit, is very sporadic, but it will be the first place we announce more live events. So we recorded the podcast in the exact same manner. It's the same other than the fact that it's been recorded in front of an audience. And I've left in just a little bit of the intro so you can get a feel for what it was like. Madeline was absolutely lovely, the perfect guest and a true professional. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thank you all so much for coming. Now that I have you here as a captive audience, I can tell you that this is the first bit of public speaking I've done since about the age of 14. (laughs) I was in a Midsummer's Night's Dream at school and I was playing Oberon. And due to what can only be described as a catastrophic wardrobe malfunction, in the interval, my trousers went missing. And (laughs) I was made to go on stage wearing no trousers. So this is already 10,000 times better than that because I am wearing clothes. What we're going to do today is record the podcast in the exact way that I do normally. So normally I'd be at a guest house and we might be sitting around the kitchen table. We might be in a publisher's office or sometimes I have been known to record in a car, although subsequently I have been told that is not excellent podcasting practice. <laughs> so we're going to do the podcast and then at the end, there's going to be a Q&A so you guys can ask some questions. I've made you all brownies because as far as I'm concerned... Cooking and baking for people is the best way of making friends and getting them to like you. So I hope you like them. And yeah, I think that's everything. So we'll, I'll I'll stop waffling on and we'll get going. My guest today is Madeline Shaw. Madeline is a best-selling cookery writer, a nutritional therapist and leading wellness blogger. She was really at the forefront of blogging when it all took off and has been a pioneer in the world of wellness. She's written three best-selling cookbooks, launched an app, amassed a huge following online, trained as a yoga teacher, had a baby, and has just released The Good Gut Guide. It's not for nothing. She's regularly called a guru. Welcome, Maddie. (laughs) Hello. So I'm so happy to not only have you on the podcast, but to have you as the guest on the first ever live recording. Well, I feel very honoured. (laughs) And even just describing what you've achieved in the last few years was a little bit exhausting. Um, But I wondered, of all the things you've done, how does it feel to be called a guru? I don't know if I've ever really been called a guru till today. Um, I don't know, overwhelming. I'm I'm very appreciative of it. Thank you. I knew you were going to have a really modest answer. And I just think if I was ever described as a guru, I would use it to get out of household chores and I would just bang on about it all the time. I think the introductions that I do 
they often really embarrass the guest. And that isn't the aim. But I do think it's nice to sort of have a chance to look back on all the things you've done. And I wondered, is that in your character? Are you able to sort of reflect on everything you've achieved? Or are you constantly looking at the next challenge? Probably it's something I'm learning to be better at. I think I definitely am always thinking, what's next? What can I do more of? And probably that's a good thing in many ways because it makes you want to achieve more things. But then are you happy in the moment that you're in? That's probably the question you ask yourself. So I feel like I'm getting better at being appreciative and being like, well done, you achieved that. And then kind of moving on to the next thing. So I'm working on it. Like, I see it as like these two pedals, like one's like pushing forward and one's like slowing down. And sometimes I have to hit the slowing down button at moments. That's a good way of looking at it. I think it's something that definitely takes practice. Like it's not in everyone's nature to just, I mean, some people maybe sit back and think, wow, (laughs) look at everything I've done. But (laughs) I don't think most people think like that. Before we dive into the dishes, how do you think you're going to get on on the desert island? I think I'm going to be great. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. I love sun. I love sea. I love tropical food. I love swimming in the ocean. And I really like my own company. So I think it's going to be great. Right. Well, let's let's get you a ticket. (laughs) Your parents are both from New Zealand, which I have some questions about that later on. It's very cool. Um, But before that, let's talk about the first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Okay. It's going to be chicken and chickpeas. Ooh. So it's this dish. I don't know if my mom made it up, but she makes it at least once a week, if not twice a week. And it's basically a whole chicken in like a casserole dish because I grew up with an aga. So we did a lot of like one pot cooking um, with chickpeas, turmeric, lots of stock and ginger. And you just basically pop it in the aga for like two hours and then it comes out and it's delicious. My sister hates it. I love it. (laughs) It's just really nostalgic for me. And I feel like that kind of sums up the sort of food that we ate. Yeah. Well, that also sounds very on brand for Madeleine Shaw, (laughs) because I was going to say, has your career had any effect on the way the rest of your family eats? But it sounds like maybe your mum's already got it sorted. I think she always was very healthy like we always my mum cooked everything from scratch we had a lot of avocados before they were trendy yeah didn't um, you I read an interview where you described yourself as an avocado baby yeah but I had to google that in case that was like an actual thing but you just meant you loved avocados yeah <laughs> and there is actually a book called the avocado baby I don't know if anyone's ever read it to their kids but it's all about this baby that's really strong because it eats avocados and my aunt and uncle had an avocado farm in New Zealand we used to go there on quad bikes and like pick up avocados and I think I've just got this real connection with an avocado (laughs) basically there are worse connections to have and didn't you also have curry Fridays as a child yes it was a waitrose um chicken ticker which now my boyfriend's Indian he tells me it's not actually Indian food but I was like when we first met he was like do you like Indian food I was like yeah I grew up on chicken ticker like (laughs) chicken ticker from waitress every Friday night he was like oh my goodness (laughs) presumably your parents have been in the UK for a long time now but was there any influence from their New Zealand background and what what even maybe very ignorant but what is the food of New Zealand? I guess they don't have a long history. Um, I, we're not Maori. I actually had an ancestry test done um, recently. Oh, did I wanted you? To figure it out. Um, but I think probably what I've learned from my Kiwi bring, um, upbringing would be to be more laid back. I'm less 
British in that kind of stiff upper, upper lip and a bit more talkative about my emotions. But from a food perspective, probably a slightly more kind of fresh food. I think that's sort of what I see New Zealand food as like everything's quite fresh, not too many sauces, quite light. I don't know, they're very resourceful, I find Kiwis. They kind of know how to, to fish and then cook the fish on the barbecue and then prepare everything from scratch. Yeah, and there's like a long-standing debate over the pavlova, isn't it? Whether that's <laughs> from New Zealand or from Australia, but maybe that's territory that we just don't yeah. want to oh, go the, into. <laughs> yes, and I also grew up on a Vegemite as well. Oh, yeah. That in. Yeah, I'm a Bovril girl, so <laughs> let's talk about the second Desert Island dish. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. Ooh, um, what did I first? I would have to say it was a lemon drizzle cake. So Ooh. there's this particular um, cookbook. Again, sorry to be talking about New Zealand so much, but it's called the Edmunds Cookbook. Is anyone else from New Zealand here? No. Okay, so it's like the cookbook that every Kiwi family has. And I don't think we cooked from anything but that cookbook my entire... <laughs> it had everything. Cakes, like main recipes, kind of starters, whatever you wanted, it was in that book. So it was the lemon drizzle cake. And my mom was really big on making every recipe her own. So she would basically like go through the recipe and cross things out and change things. But I feel like you can't really do that with baking, right? You've kind of got to like... Yeah, it's more of a science. A hundred percent. So they probably didn't go as well as Edmund would have liked them to. But the lemon drizzle was kind of the number one cake. Oh, so um, Edmund, he was a real person. I, I think, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I refer to him as, as Edmund. But I think lemon drizzle cake... It, the first time you make it is kind of magical because it's just like a boring cake and then after it comes out you pour over the drizzle and it sort of turns into something amazing doesn't it? yeah 100% so I read some interviews where you talked about how growing up you did have quite a complex relationship with food and I think food is just so interesting because all the relationships that we have with food are so varied and complex and ever-changing and I think food is tied up into so many different avenues it's obviously a requirement for basic human survival and it can be an enormous source of joy but in between there there are a million different things and so I wondered for you growing up what exactly did that look like? So I think around when I was about 15, 16 things probably changed for me. My parents divorced when my best friends died and it was just quite a difficult time for me and I think I started to use food as a control mechanism and it just started like I'd be like today I'll eat one piece of toast instead of two. And it was never something I ever thought about. And then it just became quite obsessive so that I knew if I controlled food, there was something in control in my life. And that went on for quite a few years. And I know it was very difficult for my family to watch me be very particular about food and become quite slim. I would have never, I was never hospitalized. It was never too serious. I did see a psychiatrist. It kind of all changed for me when I moved to Australia I went there when I was 19. I, yeah, I think it's just really interesting because I think that's not an uncommon experience. Mm. Like it's really difficult being a teenager. 100%. And I, I think sort of basically every day I'll at least have one moment where I think, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm not a teenager yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Do you think everything with social media is just making that more and more difficult? Yes and no. I think obviously it depends who you follow. I think that there is probably much more kind of outlook on like the way we look in terms of like we see people in their bikinis and like 
swimwear and like gym kit all the time. So you're constantly thinking, is my body the same as that person's? But then I do think you're also seeing lots of other people that might be more similar to you. So you don't feel so alone. That's true. So I feel like it's kind of depending on who you're following and, and what you're consuming. But I do feel like there is a big pressure and being a teenager is a difficult time. There's a lot of hormones going on and your body does change. You kind of go from being a girl more towards being a woman. Um, It's a very confusing time in many ways. (laughs) I think it's really interesting when someone who's had a complex relationship with food then goes into the world of food for work. And I think that's quite a common experience and it it makes so much sense. Do you feel like it was inevitable that you would go into food? No, no, not at all. I was really good at maths at school. It was kind of the only thing I was good at. Like I went from kind of being like the bottom of the class and everything and then sort of turned it around in my last few years of school and did quite well. So I was going to go into economics and like I was told I was going to be an investment banker because I did, you know, when you do those tests at school and they tell you what you're going to be and mine was like investment banker, accountant and actuary, they were like my top three. So I was like, okay, well, that sounds great. They make loads of money. I'll just do that. (laughs) And was kind of set to go to Newcastle to read economics and then I know we're going to talk about Australia later. You can and then it. and then move to Australia. <laughs> I'm actually kind of jealous of your results because we did one of those tests at school, but it was we did it before our GCSEs, so I didn't yeah. have any qualifications to tell the test about. And I got told I was going to be a mattress tester, which <laughs> I didn't even know that was a job. But my parents were not over the moon. Um, Let's talk about the third desert island dish. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. Ooh, the best dish I've ever eaten. It's probably from Medler. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. It's on um, New King's Road and it's my boyfriend's favourite restaurant. And I'll have to say that I'll give so much credit to my boyfriend for me and my journey with food because he owns restaurants. He is like a foodie and I was not a foodie at all. I'd be like yeah, like this will do and like eat whatever. And he has kind of opened me up to like amazing food. And it was this like tuna tartare with like avocado, I know bad, avocado puree, but it was like the whole thing, like their food is just outrageous. And if you haven't been there, you have to go. Mm, That sounds really good. What kind of food does he cook? Kind of everything, quite a lot of Indian. Because it's Boma, the restaurant. Yeah, Yeah. which isn't Indian, but... um, And really good brunches. Yeah, they kind of, it's like a neighborhood brasserie, their restaurant. Um, Gave him a little kind of (laughs) something for everyone there. So I knew that you lived in Australia, (laughs) the moment we've all been waiting for. Um, But I kind of thought you were just there for a few months and it was just sort of a cool thing to say. But you were there for a really long time. You went to university there. And as you say, you nearly went to Newcastle, you nearly read Mm -hmm. economics. How did that come about that you went to the other side of the world? So I was always obsessed with Australians, even though my parents are from New Zealand and there is a bit of a competition between the two countries. And I went on a gap year, went there. And on the first day I got there, I was like, I'm going to live here. And I called my mom and I said, I'm going to move here. And she was like, well, how are you going to make that happen? So I basically applied online, got my mum to send my A-level results to the uni and got in. It was really like bizarre, but it all just kind of happened. And then lived there for four years. And I mean, that's a really brave <laughs> thing to do. Like, are you quite a brave person or do you just sort of take that kind of thing in your stride? 
I don't, I, I don't even know who I was at that moment in time. It feels like a long time ago, but it just felt right. Like it was like a gut feeling. I was like, I belong in this country and I'm going to figure out how to get there. <laughs> and I guess that is quite part of my personality. I'm like, I really want this and I'll do everything and I will not like take my eyes off the prize. And I basically got put in touch with this girl who had a spare room. And it was like that time when, you know, Facebook was everything. And it was like, you know how you wrote your interests? And she was like, interested in Gossip Girl. And I remember being like, I love Gossip Girl too. And she was like, cool. And then and we're still best friends. She's the best thing in the world. And Gossip we still love is, Gossip Girl. Yeah, Gossip Girl is very bonding. And during your time there, you got a job working in an organic cafe. And that kind of changed everything for you, didn't it? Yeah. So it started from, I feel like I have to go back. Okay. Because we were talking about, my relationship with food yeah so I had a boyfriend over there who I'm not with anymore but he was the person that got me really to open up about what was going on for me and finally this sort of weight that I've been holding of like the sort of demons in my head and like not feeling good about myself felt like I had been heard by someone else and that really opened up something in me that hadn't been healed before and after that, I guess I became much more explorative of kind of looking after myself inside out. And I had really bad IBS at the time. I was diagnosed by a GP and I was trying to figure out what was causing it. And I basically ate so much in this cafe that they gave me a job. <laughs> and that's how I got the job there. So I cooked there for a few years and was basically posting what I was making on Facebook. And this girlfriend said, set up why don't you set up a food blog? And that's basically where it all began. And we were making quite interesting things of the time because we're looking at what's over seven years ago. Like we'd make raw cheesecakes where we would like make our own um, cheese and we would make our own kefir and we would grate our own coconuts and press them to make coconut oil. And we did everything from scratch. It was a very like back to basics kind of cafe and really cool, interesting people came in um, that I'm still friends with today and yeah it kind of I never thought I would go into food but I was like this is something that like I feel like I'm quite good at and I really enjoy and both my parents love their jobs so I was always like I'm gonna have a career that I love and I will never do anything else so it was like this weird moment where for years and years I've been searching like what I was going to do and who I was going to be in the world and this just felt like the right thing. Yeah also Australia is so far ahead of us in terms of, I mean, maybe not now mm. because like London and the UK, amazing things are happening. But back then, things were happening in Australia that we just weren't experiencing in London. So that must have been kind of exciting to see that and then to be able to maybe bring that back to the UK with you. A hundred percent. And I think what I had grown up with was like dieting was about deprivation and I was like actually no healthy living which I really like from Australia is about like abundance and enjoying food and like you can like eat well and look good and feel good and I wanted to kind of bring that knowledge over and spread it to the UK and that was kind of like my core message which was kind of um, tagged get the glow because I thought instead of it being like get lean or get thin or whatever the kind of words that were being thrown around at the time I was like actually no like how can I get people to be looking after the way they eat but without focusing on exactly how you look yeah and that's so kind of how it began who doesn't want to glow <laughs> we can't miss this opportunity to pick your brains because obviously the food out there is amazing where other than the organic cafe where are your favorite places <laughs> 
haven't been back for a while, but there are just so many like amazing places to eat. Cause where would I go? Okay. So I love Miss Chews for okay. this is more like casual dining. So like rice paper rolls, Vietnamese style cuisine. So that's a good place. Beach Burrito, which is in uh, Bondi Beach, which is like after a long day at the beach and you're like, fancy something to eat and you want like a really good burrito has an amazing view like over the ocean so that's kind of like if you want to get a margarita alongside that's a good spot it's kind of hard to imagine being (laughs) on a beach right now but that sounds incredible (laughs) and then where else do I really like to eat when I'm there I'm like completely forgetting the name of this one particular restaurant but it does like the best slow-cooked lamb Okay, we'll we come back. We can me. find out. I will find out okay. and then I'll send it. Put it in the show notes. <laughs> what all the professional podcasters say. Um, yeah, I was just so surprised when I was out there. And I think I've said this before, but I was, it's so cool how they've completely rejected sort of Starbucks and Costa and the mm. coffee out there is amazing, isn't it? So many amazing little coffee places. A hundred percent. It's really independent mm. and you don't realize it till you're there and you're like, every shop is different and I'm not seeing the same thing. Yeah. And you're right. Like it's really all about independent own. They don't embrace chains at all. Yeah, so nice. Yeah, it is. It's really special. Yeah. Okay. We're on to possibly the most important question of the day. It's the fourth desert island dish. What is your favorite sandwich? Okay. So <laughs> mine is probably quite Scandinavian yeah. so I like really good rye bread it would have some sunflower seeds in there um with smoked salmon like pickled beetroot rocket maybe some horseradish I feel like that's would be my ultimate combo yeah that's- and maybe gravelax salmon oh yeah why not <laughs> that sounds really good Okay, so you moved back to London, Mm -hmm. age 22, and then you started blogging. But that was way back in the early days of blogging. So what did that look like? And how did that turn into your job? So I was back home at my mum's house. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I was trying to think of what a cool name for my blog was. And everyone was like, how did you come up with healthy, it? <laughs> blah, blah, or like, and I was like, I couldn't think of anything. So I was like, it's just gonna be Madeline Shaw, my full name. <laughs> and my first post was this like raw chocolate cake. It was like a raw chocolate tart. And I put it out and I posted it. And then I said to my mum, of course, what do you think of it? She's like, oh, it's really good. But it says um, raw chocolate desert. Oh. <laughs> so I was like... Okay, so spelling has never been something that I'm very good at. And I've had to have a lot of people check over it. Um, But it kind of started from there. And it was not something I ever imagined would be my job. I was just like, I'm really passionate about this and something will come of it, whatever that will be. And I met my manager, who I know you are also represented by. And Alice is actually an old friend of mine. Um, well, my, our parents are friends okay. and I always had a crush on her brother growing up <laughs> and, um, she approached me and she said, where do you see yourself in five years time? Where do you want to take your blog? And I was like, I don't know. I've been doing it about six, seven months at this time. I was like, I don't know, just kind of want it to keep going. And she said, would you like to write a book? And I was like, me? No, that's what Jamie Oliver does. Like, that's not something I would ever do. And yeah, we kind of put a book proposal together called Get the Glow because that was kind of the main messaging. And I was doing like talks all over London with spiritualizing courgettes. Again, revolutionary at the time, <laughs> but now kind of what everyone does. But um, yeah, it kind of just went from there. And I, I, I wouldn't say there was one particular thing that I did that happened. It just 
was like a slow process and I guess right place, right time, yeah. right that, message. But that's interesting that you say slow. Like how from when you started your blog, were you sort of instantly getting thousands of hits or like <laughs> how did how did word spread? And when did you get to a point where you thought, oh, actually, was it was it when you got a manager and you thought? To be honest, no. And that's not in not that she didn't do a great job. I think it was just that I was talking about something that was very different to what had been said before. I wasn't talking about calories. I wasn't talking about dieting. I was talking about like nourishment. And I think that had probably never been spoken about in the same way before. I guess it was the boom of social media, which is still booming now. I don't know. I guess it was just, I don't know. I can't explain it. (laughs) I guess it's interesting because like you say, there wasn't someone sort of five years ahead that you could say, oh, that's going to be me. That's what I'm working towards. It was sort of all new territory, which is really exciting. But also I can imagine kind of scary because you're just making it up as you go along in the best possible (laughs) sense of the word. (laughs) Being someone who's been involved in the wellness scene for such a long time, what does wellness mean to you? a good question I feel like it's ever-changing um I kind of divide it into like three categories that I label like move much meditate so like good food and whatever that means to you I think when I first began blogging I was like it's got to be dairy-free sugar-free gluten-free like all these free from words but actually now I've realized that like I think we're all very different and I think if you like cram as many vegetables into your life as possible, that's probably where you get your most nutrition from. But alongside some of your brownies, yeah. fantastic, <laughs> and a much more kind of balanced approach to it. But then I do think you've got to think about your movement, whether that's a hit class, whether that's yoga, whether that's walking, and then your mindset almost, I think, might even be the most important. So looking after yourself being your biggest cheerleader, giving yourself time off and kind of constantly like checking in, like, what do you need? What's going on with myself? Because I think we're so busy that sometimes you don't even know, like, have you got pain in your back? How are you feeling? What's going on? Um, So I kind of think about it in those three different ways. And I think as life changes, what wellness means to me changes. So now I have a little boy I kind of realized the importance of like play and fun, which I feel like I wasn't really having in my life. Like I was very serious Mm. and like kind of heading towards a certain place in my career. And now I have a new experience of wellness. So I don't know. I feel like I'm learning things along the way. I knew you were going to have a good answer to that question. (laughs) We obviously had the whole rise in clean eating and then the mighty fall of it. And I think the fall was because, as you say, it sort of all got taken a bit too far and turned into sort of extreme deprivation diet wrapped up Mm. as a lifestyle but that wasn't ever what wellness was intended to be was it no I think it was a real shame and quite like a a very weird time for everyone because I think the main people that got kind of put down me included was the messaging was the opposite of everything we ever like set out to say and I think that's a shame and I think We've, I think everyone's learned a lot from it. And I think that you never realize really how many people are watching. You may see the numbers go up, but you don't go, oh God, I've got to be really careful about what I say. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm definitely more conscious of it now, but I never really thought about it in that way. And I think, you know, difficult things like restrictive eating and eating disorders can come from anywhere. 
and maybe the word clean eating was the wrong way of putting it I think it always was there with good intentions at the beginning but got taken in the wrong way and I think that can happen in every industry fitness food fashion and things are all changing I think we're becoming more conscious as people in like every area of our lives now so I think that's a good thing yeah and as you say it's all completely new territory Mm. so everyone's just doing the best they can and you know you can't tell what's going to happen down the line can you no let's talk about the fifth desert island dish and that's the dish you eat the most often (laughs) um please say it's a mcdonald's (laughs) (laughs) no no it's not it's it's probably this like miso broth so it's like chicken stock salmon miso paste i basically put miso paste on everything like whatever vegetables are in the fridge and like buckwheat noodles so it's probably like a 15 20 minute dish really easy i love broths i love that like saltiness of miso and you kind of get to use up those like ugly vegetables at the back of the fridge yeah nothing better than a fridge (laughs) forage you've just launched your own podcast which is really exciting it's all about motherhood um so obviously becoming a mother is an enormous thing a life-changing event and there's so much to talk about with that but i thought instead of doing that i would ask you a curveball question (laughs) if when shay grows up he was asked the question about the dish that most reminds him of his childhood what do you think his answer would be and what do you wish his answer might be good question okay at his present moment in time yeah. it would probably be oh what does he eat the most of the time probably how, how old is he he's a year and a half okay so he's still teeny so probably it'd be like brown rice pasta with avocado peas and cherry tomatoes because that is like probably like that moment when I'm like I have not prepared anything and I've quickly got to make something and I've always got those on yeah, hand that sounds good <laughs> that sounds really good so whilst you've been busy beavering away and running your business building an empire you've also trained as a nutritional therapist which took three years I mean how you found the time to do that I just don't know but obviously that's something that you're really passionate about tell us a bit more about why that in particular was so important to do so um before that I studied to be a health coach which is when I first got into blogging which was like a year long and as amazing as that was I felt like I couldn't I didn't know enough to get particular results for people so for example if someone say came to you and they were having um a particular issue and food couldn't resolve it there was not much more I could do so I wanted to train in nutritional therapy to understand more like how you could use tests so how you could use like thyroid tests to see where your hormone levels were at or stool tests to see like your bacteria in your gut and to really understand around supplementation and how you could use that so that's kind of what I went to do so it's like three years the first year is biomed so it's very like first year of medical school which I found really difficult to get my head around but then the last two years were very much clinic and like working with patients had you done science a level I did biology AS, um, but I didn't take it to A-level. I dropped it. And now you're fully qualified. I am. Yeah. Last year, a year and a half, actually a year and a half ago, just before I gave birth. Okay. So yeah. Amazing. (laughs) And you've recently just launched the Happy Gut Guide. Yes. Tell us a bit about that because obviously a huge passion project. And I feel like the gut is having a big moment, (laughs) but tell us, tell us why. So the Happy Gut Guide is a 12-week self-management program for people who have IBS. 
at the moment one in seven people have IBS so quite a lot of people um, and yeah and at the moment the kind of two ways that you can tackle it is you go to your GP you find out you have IBS you might be waiting one to two years to see a private dietitian just because there's such a huge demand and you're not necessarily top of the list or you go private dietitian could cost you five hundred thousand pounds depending on how many sessions you see five hundred thousand sorry five hundred to a thousand pounds yeah that is the house it costs you a house. i'm retraining tomorrow because that sounds awesome <laughs> um and so i felt like oh that's really tough you know depending on what income you've got what time you've got um and i feel like there's really mixed messages at the moment because yes there's a huge conversation about gut health probably not the best things that people are recommending for people with IBS. So there's a huge talk on like fermented foods, probiotics, um, what other stuff are we talking about? Kimchi. For some with IBS, probably not the great, the best thing for them to be taking. And the sad thing is the people who are buying these products are the people with IBS. Yeah. So basically I'd always wanted to start something and it was about three years of me being like, how am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? busy doing other things yeah. <laughs> and basically listened to this girl called Laura Tilt, an amazing dietitian. She had her own podcast a year ago. I heard her about IBS and I was like, this woman is just amazing. I fell in love with her as I was listening to her and I contacted her and I said, look, I really want to create this program. Would you want to do it with me? And I really wanted someone that had that clinical experience, really understood it and was going to really help people kind of get results and and change so we spent a year together creating it so it definitely took longer than we thought we were like yeah it'll be like six weeks or something <laughs> easy and um yeah it's kind of online we've had like 450 people sign up to it which is amazing it only just launched yeah in january yeah so it's going really good and people are already feeling amazing we've created this like private um facebook community so that people can like talk about their poo and not feel embarrassed because we talk a lot about poo and it's really important that we do because every day we get like your pee and your poo to look at and these things tell you so much about what's going on how much fiber you having how hydrated are you have you got a potential like intolerance to a food that's aggravating and it's not something we should be embarrassed to talk about because actually it's amazing that we get this like indication to what's going on in our bodies every day yeah that sounds amazing um <laughs> i don't know how to segue away from poo but um before we talk about dinner parties let's just quickly talk like obviously you're so entrepreneurial so imagine if you'd never been to australia you'd never discovered this whole mm -hmm. world of food what do you think plan b was what would you be doing so i've had a few other like little jobs before i got into so first job I had in Australia was dog walking and then the others I did a little bit in interior design so I did also did an interior design course while I was of there. course you did and worked for an interior designer for a while and really like that so maybe that uh maybe I would have got into banking mm. who knows you could be you could combine interior design and dog walking like I feel like that could be huge business yeah somewhere. I honestly I have no idea and I feel for people when you're like you just don't know what you want to do in life. Like I feel like I was there for so many years and I think it's just like trying new things. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like I would have 
would have done something hopefully that I loved as well. Yeah. I think it's the kind of thing where you can't just sit at home and try to think about it. You just have to go out and do different things and then you sort of discover your thing, don't you? Okay. (laughs) It's been a safe distance now. So the sixth desert island dish, what is your go-to dinner party dish? Okay. Ooh. I feel like when we do dinner parties, we always theme them. So it might be Indian, it might be Mexican, it'll be like a particular world cuisine that will go down. So let's say we do Indian because that's probably the most likely. So that will be like um, like a lamb sarg that mm. we'll make. So that's probably Kieran's signature dish. So he'll be on that. Okay. <laughs> and then what else we do? Maybe like a biryani, sometimes a vegetable biryani on the side and like get some like japatis what else do we make would you Um, have a pudding with that with the indian dish i normally do like i don't know if it's indian or not but like um (laughs) (laughs) like a sort of like a coconut uh panna cotta style Mm. so like with like vanilla and cardamom so yeah indian kind of spice the flavors of a lassie exactly and then all (laughs) these and they're good because you can make them like before and then just keep them in the fridge yeah um, and that's probably, and then I like to do like games afterwards. Okay. So I have this particular game that I make, like everyone always play, which is called Queenie. And it's like a family game, but it's like rummy, but with magic cards. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so <laughs> it's just, it's like really fun. It gets really competitive. And I don't know, it, it's just like the perfect uh, length of game. That sounds um, really good. Yeah, it's good. My dad's recently started this thing where he insists everyone stands up and sings something, which is like literally <laughs> my worst nightmare. Um, so this, this sounds much better. <laughs> something that we ask every guest on mm-hmm. Desert Island Dishes, what is your most treasured cook? I, I feel like I have to say the Edmund. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I don't cook out of it all the time, it's just there is I'll never have a love for a cookbook more than that and do you have your mum's copy oh yeah yeah, yeah. you've stolen it it's yours <laughs> <laughs> she's that uh, yeah she's done with it she knows all the recipes but you're also a big Diana Henry fan aren't you I yeah. am obsessed with her yeah, she's I feel like I'm pretty chilled at meeting most people I think I'd be have you met her no I've never met her I feel like I would be really nervous meeting her because I I do cook her recipes all the time yeah she seems super cool. I think I'd be the same like a yeah. proper fan girl quick question mm-hmm. if you were to have a dream dinner party and you could ask any four people they can be dead or alive who would you invite so do they cook the no get them to cook? no i'm cooking it. yeah because i was like diana henry on the- <laughs> she'll be in the kitchen <laughs> so she could still come um who would i invite your eyes literally lit up there at the idea that diana might cook for you <laughs> Do you know what? I'm not that bothered about meeting pretty much anyone. Okay. Maybe it'll just be you and Diana. I, I think it would just be me, Diana. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a good thing. No, I genuinely, I genuinely, and it's so sad. I would literally just be like my boyfriend, my son, and my best oh. friend. That would literally be it. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I love everyone around me and. I'm sure there's amazing people out there in the world who could give me a lot of knowledge, but no, I think that's. I feel good like that's that's my dream. Yeah, and scenario. Maybe Diana in the kitchen. <laughs> um, we're on to the final <laughs> desert island dish, and that is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. So it would definitely be a tartar citron. Oh, okay. Um, because it's my favorite dessert, and it's just so delicious, and I feel like it's quite refreshing. Yeah, so I feel like you'd feel like. Oh, quite satisfied and then you'd be and then you just go 
I, I wasn't expecting Madeline Shaw just to dive straight into the pudding. And is that a baked lemon tart or do you do the curd and then put it in the fridge? Oh yeah, the curd and yeah. then the fridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, I feel like, I don't know, that's the way I like it. Yeah, I, me too. Um, well, yeah, I can't believe it, but Madeline Shaw, those are your desert island dishes. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> So there we are. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who came along. It was so nice to meet you all. And I left feeling warm and fuzzy. And now I have a favor to ask. If you're listening and you haven't yet left a five-star review, now is your chance. It really is quick to do, I promise. And it really makes such a big difference and means I can keep making the podcast for you each week. You can find me on Instagram at Margie Nomura and you can visit the website desertislanddishes.co for the full list of episodes, lots of different recipe ideas, including the one inspired by Maddie. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.